Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Hardware Podcast. My name is Jackson Danner, alongside my good friend Omar Borja, and special guest Connor McQuiston from uh, from Pro Football Focus. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. Uh, he does a lot of analytics, writes a lot of articles for PFF. In other words, just smart people stuff, uh, bringing math into football and all that. So, uh, Connor, it's, a, it's an honor to have you here. I'm looking forward to uh, asking some questions on some stuff with this. You say honor like I'm not just some jabroni off the street who happens to do numbers. <laughs> no. Hey, you, you've done more impressive stuff than, than us, for sure. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, man. You know, you give a monkey um, a typewriter. <laughs> but, you know, it's it nice to be yeah. on. I was looking so, forward to this. And, uh, I was working the Hula Bowl, and I met up Omar there, and that was really cool to meet him in person. So, uh, yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, for uh, for, for just purposes, hey. you may or may not have met up with me. Um, we'll, we'll just say that. Oh, allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> no, allegedly. It's, okay. it's all good. No, I'm getting out of here anyway by the time this drops. But, but, uh, but yeah, you guys no, met I'm up good. on Zoom, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, COVID and all that, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, Connor. Well, hey, well, I, Omar, if you've got nothing else, we'll just go ahead and hop right into this. That that sound good with you guys? absolutely yeah absolutely so hey I'll, I'll go with my first question um connor i mean obviously a lot of what you do is analytics uh, i'm curious which phase of the game offense defense or special teams which phase of the game do you think uh analytics has the biggest impact on as far as decision making uh so in terms of decision making uh, generally speaking, the uh, especially publicly, most analytics have been done through the lens of offense, uh, just because one that's kind of the easiest. Uh, you know, we have the counting stats, the play-by-play data is structured in terms of the offense. Um, so most of the, and of course, like the biggest analytics uh, talking points probably here, you know, running backs don't matter. Uh, passing is more efficient. Play action passing is a cheat code. Uh, motion is good. Uh, go for it on fourth down, go for two. All of those are made in reference to the offense uh, just because it's from an analysis perspective, it's a lot easier to uh, kind of divvy up uh, and say, okay, well, we have a value for this play and we have a value for that play. Now we can figure out this play is better in this situation. So, so in terms of like which phase of the game, offense, especially from a public perspective, is out there. Uh, defense is a little tricky because a lot of it is determined by personnel. Like if you don't have the dudes run cover two man, it, it doesn't help you to, for me to tell you, hey, your EPA when you run cover two man uh, is bad. Uh, EPA being expected points added, it's the, it's the fancy number that we use to say how valuable play was uh, instead of yards. Um, so like uh, it, it's just how it's just after a play, how many more points you expect to score afterwards. Uh, so like a uh, quick example, um, opening kickoff, that's probably a touchback. So first and 10 on your own 25 uh, teams score about two points on drives from that spot on average. Uh, if you gain 15 yards and you're on the 40 uh, teams score about 2.5 points on average from that spot. So if you had a play that went from on first and 10 uh, from your own 25 to first and 10 on your own 40, uh, that's worth about half a point. So we say that was worth 0.5 EPA. So offense in the very roundabout answer. Does EPA vary a lot based on down and distance, like a, or is it pretty much just all field position that's related to as far as that? 
Um, the field, posi field position is the easiest way to understand it, I think. Um, now, down, down and distance and time remaining, depending on the model, uh, is usually is does play a pretty big factor. Like if you look on um, uh, DAC in the 2020 season, was have a you know a phenomenal start to the season, but he had a couple interceptions on third down, which are big EPA swings. Because uh, of course, to get the first down, that's a huge swing. If you don't convert it, you know you're probably not going to score anyway. So that's a pretty big swing the other direction. Uh, so in terms of third down, uh, EPA makes a pretty big difference. But in terms of distance, if, if you just want to think about it in terms of field position you're doing great. Yeah, so while we're on the topic of EPA, Connor, um, I remember yeah. seeing a chart from um, Parker from at, at Stats of War, who a uh, big TCU fan, does a lot of great work, and I'm sure yeah, you know about him. Parker's in the, great. Uh, yeah, in the, uh, in the analytics community. So um, they added the ranking of the running backs in terms of EPA, and number one, geez, I forget who number one was, but honestly, number two caught my eye more than number one, not just because he played for Army, but because he's a fullback who averages 3.6 yards per carry. So... I've been looking for an explanation for that. Why, how Jacoby Buchanan, a man with, I think, 84 rushes for like about 300 yards or something like that, ranked way above a guy like Kenneth Walker in terms of EPA. Yeah. So, um, total EPA, as so usually what we do in analytics is we hit, is um, if you want to think about EPA as fancy yards, that probably helps. Uh, so, the way we usually think about EPA in terms of players is we usually use EPA per play. Um, now, same idea with yards. If I say a running back gained 100 yards, I'm implicitly saying the running back is responsible for those 100 yards. Um, now, the issue that we run into with that, especially with running backs, is that a lot of their production is tied to other positions, notably the offensive line and the box count of the defense. So by saying, uh, so when you have a player like Kenneth Walker, who ran through my Michigan Wolverines, uh, and it was uh, very upsetting. We were like four missed tackles away, and I, I don't want to get into it, but I could. Um, so when you have a player like him who is the work workhorse of your offense, you know, you, you have the big explosive plays, you have the big, uh, you know, you have the first downs, you have moving the chains, but you also have probably equal amount of plays that are just three yards in a cloud of dust. And I don't know if you know this, uh, being an Army fan, uh, but three yards in the cloud of dust is not very efficient. <laughs> so what that tends to get us is that tends to drag down your, EPA, your total EPA and thus your EPA per play. Uh, because if you are constantly having the ball on early downs, you're getting three and you're getting two, three yards to carry. And, you know, that's going to that's not very valuable. Your EPA will go down even if it helps your yards a little bit. Uh, so when you have someone like Army's fullback, whose name is uh, escaping me at the moment, uh, he's probably getting the ball in a lot of high leverage situations. He's probably getting the ball a lot third and short. Uh, he's getting it on fourth and short. He's getting it in the red zone near the goal line. So he, so even though he is not, he just is, isn't put in positions uh, to have negative EPA. He's not getting the ball at first and ten around the field uh, most of the time, I would imagine. Uh, especially when you have the wishbone like the triple option, the triple in the army. He has a lot more open lanes, and he's a big old boy that can run through some MFers, <laughs> so that helps. So basically, with, when you look at EPA for, total EPA for running backs, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an iffy stat in terms of evaluation, uh, especially when you have situations like Army's fullback, uh, where he's being he's only really being used in high leverage situations, and as a function of the offense they run and how much they rep that offense and just what his body is. And what he's being asked to do, that's 
uh, you know, that's a recipe for, for success. Oh yeah, no, that was a great explanation. Really appreciate it. Like it's, it's clear to me now. Um, I mean, yeah, it's confusing to, I guess, to layman, layman like me, but it helps recruiting, uh, <laughs> you know, having those statistics and, uh, being fullback university. So I'll get yeah. back to Jackson. <laughs> It's, it's not even, it's not even lame. You guys just haven't been, ex- it's more exposure thing more than it being super complicated to understand. I would love to know if, if Army could just get a, like a decent quarterback in recruiting, just the play action would be amazing off of that. I mean, you guys could just really Bob just right there, rock Jackson. it with play Bob, action. Bob right there. You, so the quarterback <laughs> has been incredibly decent. Um, I don't know if you remember, but Army played six starting Incredibly quarterbacks in 2020. Decent, two words that don't go together, man. I'll take, I'll take Christian Anderson. Christian Anderson threw for over 200 yards against Air Force. The defense, a, a top five defense. Um, Jackson, one more to have to say. I'll take – you want to see bad quarterback play? Iowa's a run <laughs> – Iowa was a joke last week. The Iowa, Iowa quarterback play was a joke last week. But uh, I, I digress, Jackson. I'm sorry. Army quarterback play is definitely right. not the problem. <laughs> Okay. All right. Go for it. Send it. What's up? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to go into to my next question. So Connor, when you're watching a game live, just, you know, on ESPN, Fox, CBS, whatever you are. So, you know, no all 22, no replays aside from what the broadcast gives you. How do you compartmentalize the information you're watching? Is it by personnel grouping frequencies, formation concepts? What do you personally like to, think of when watching the game yeah so uh i'm gonna be i'm gonna level with you here i'm a real big himbo when i watch football games i uh <laughs> i'm not very good at uh compartmentalizing things i just like oh big man run fast score touchdown let's go uh, josh allen throw ball real hard that that's fun uh but what, what the things i do i like that that's how i enjoy football when i watch it live uh, that's, I, I don't know. I, I like to marvel at these things the athletes can do, but the things I do take notice of, uh, I don't notice personnel groupings as much, uh, formations. I tend to take notice of, um, the particularly run past tendencies out of those te- out of formations. Now I'm not like, you know, I don't have a little notebook next to me keeping, uh, keeping track, but you know, if I, if they are running, uh, like if the Eagles come out in this one formation they have where they have two, where they've. It's, I think it's 12 personnel. They have two tight ends winged out and they have the wide outs on either side and kind of tight bunch formation. And if they're running, they run pretty heavy out of that. I'll notice it. Um, and I like to try and focus on trench play sometimes because I actually know a little bit about D-line play. I've watched a couple of clinics. I feel reasonably knowledgeable there. Um, but that's really in terms of compartmentalizing. Um, unless it's a game I've like made a scanning report for or I have specific things I want to key into. Um, formations is the only thing I really notice uh, during the course of the game. Oh, like shotgun and under center thing. Like uh, if you look at Iowa, their their splits between shotgun and under center are a pretty pretty stark. Uh, so, which I mean, you don't even you me tell you that you can probably guess. And probably the opposite for the Cardinals if you're traveling to the league, right? It's pretty pretty stark. You can usually usually tell when teams uh, like to lean towards one or the other for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, it's funny. I'm the opposite. I tend to do a lot of uh, personnel groupings. That's how I watch, especially when it's Florida. That's where I nerd out and have a notebook next to me. Otherwise, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I just probably just enjoy it. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Actually, um, actually, you mentioned uh, the Cardinals. They're really funny. Uh, they don't really like move their receivers around at all. Uh, so like when DeAndre Hopkins went out, uh, he DeAndre Hopkins lined up on the took like seventy percent of the snaps at left wide receiver for the Cardinals. Uh, but then when he went out, they just kind of slid Antonio West, uh, Antoine, Antonio's Antoine or Antonio, I'm blanking. But Wesley. I believe it's Antonio. Yeah, but I, I could be wrong. Probably. Yeah, wrong. they, they yeah. put Wesley in at the left wide receiver and they just kind of said, okay, so we're just going to replace DeAndre Hopkins with Wesley and it's going to be great. It's going to go fine. <laughs> Which is funny things like that or things like that I enjoy noticing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't think it worked out. I didn't watch all the game Monday night. I don't think it worked out. But, uh, yeah, definitely. That, that is something interesting to take note of. Um, I'm curious. So analytics and scouting specifically, I, I know you've already done some work for the 2022 draft, stuff like that. And the evaluation process, typically the higher you go, the more important form versus speed becomes – in analytics, which is like, how do you account for, you know, technique and stuff like that? Or, or do you really, is that really important when you're doing stuff for the draft? That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so I don't have like, so when we make models to look at athletic profiles of players, or uh, we're trying to understand combine statistics or pro day statistics, statistics better or tracking data, uh, I'm, I'd be lying to you if I had a little check mark in my box saying, oh, his form is good. Like, there's no one in zero in, in my code that says he has good, this player has good form. Uh, I ran track in high school. I could probably couldn't tell that super well either. Um, so the way we understand something like this, like technique, which we don't have the, which generally uh, in the public sphere and even at PFF, we don't have the minutia of charting to say like this form, this technique, uh, this is how a end was. This is how an end was wrong arming a tackle on power. Um, usually, what the, what we would do is we would have some sort of generalized model. We would say, okay, uh, given that he had this explosive right after the catch, and uh, pretends wide receiver, and he had this explosive right after the catch. Uh, he av- uh, his average target was here, so he ex- and he lined up the slot x percent of the time. So these coaches expected this, and his forty time was was uh, four. It's a four or six. Well, something's up there. Something's weird. This is when we go, we consult experts like, hey, like, can you watch this? Like, if I was in a team and we're scouting some wide receiver who, uh, well, well, let's say Traylon Burks, uh, let's say Traylon Burks, who lines up in the slot and got had a lot of like gadgety type stuff towards him, which I found interesting. Um, and he, let's say he runs a, you know, mid four or five, mid four or five, high, low four or six. And I'd be concerned there because all the data indicates that his that uh, Arkansas used him as a slot gadget type. They just want to get the ball in his hands and let him run, let him go. Uh, so if he runs a bad time, I would go up to a trainer or someone on the SNC staff and say like, "Hey, Arkansas acted like this dude was faster than he was. He played in the SEC. Obviously, he's not actually slow. Like, can you watch? Can you like watch his gait and tell me if there's something up?" Uh, so it wouldn't necessarily analytics wise, uh, we would key into like off the data. Well, it, it would be something if something was a myth, if something was a miss with how we understand the player is used and how he played versus the athletic numbers we got, uh, we would then go back and say, okay, is there something, 
is there something up this form or is he just not very fast and this will translate? So that sort of thing. Uh, so basically if something, if something's wrong, then we ask is how that kind of works. It's funny because you mentioned mid four five, low four six. Devontae Adams was a was a four five five, four five six, if I remember right. So it's like it's hard to account when you're you know watching the combine. Gosh, this receiver's slow. He's not DK Metcalf, right? Um, well, you know, a lot of times that mid four five, low four six tends to be fast and you are quick i guess i should say instead of fast right uh and those guys can play and are explosive route runners and stuff like that but it's hard to account for so yeah no i i love that though and yeah i mean it's just for form and stuff i mean yeah it's obviously impossible to account for from an analytical and, and data standpoint but yeah no i i like that that if something flags like that hey we take it to you know the other staff and you know go watch that and and see just not from a spreadsheet but also just from a tape standpoint if i'm getting that process right yeah no you're right you got it hey, so connor a question i have um following up on jackson's question about scouting um a common name that we throw on this podcast is one uh, is one ej perry of brown um i think the sleeper quarterback prospect of the draft and he may have a lot of detractors uh we'll see how he plays in the east west shrine bowl uh, in, on the first week of february but is there a way that uh, is there? I guess is there a form of analytics that accounts for strength of schedule? Um, because I think I may think that the defenses of Harvard and Princeton and Dartmouth were very solid this year, but certainly not many other people share that opinion. So is there a way to account for like strength of schedule in terms like with these stats? Yeah, yeah. There, there, I mean, you can always account for it. You know, there. Uh, the way I like to explain it is that if I have like an equation, I. You know, I was a math major in, in college partially uh, and I hated it, but, uh, but you know, the way, the way I like the, the way basically all like uh, modeling in analytics is all analytics is just building models. That means I want to make a line that's close to dots. That's all that means. Uh, but it's just, what is the equation of that line? So I put like, I can put like five different things into that equation. So it's how we account for that in the equation that differs. Yeah. You can put in a, like, for FCS guys in particular, you can put in, hey, this you can put an indicator like, hey, he played he played an FCS schedule. Uh, what does that mean for his projection moving forward? Um, the FCS defenses in particular uh, had, you know, they were solid FCS defenses. They weren't like cupcake FCS defenses. If that helps at all, um, so they so we they had these metrics associated with them, uh, and of course, like there's a lot of um, backing up with, uh, you know. Obviously, anytime you have numbers, you need you need film to back it up. Now, if I have I, I have that EJ Perry's making terrible decisions against all these, albeit solid, uh, Ivy League defenses, you know, unless there's some unless they're doing something real complicated, and real weird, uh, that would be a red flag. As thing I said, well, but yeah, you can account for um, you can always account for uh, differences in schedule strength. Uh, just the means by which you go, how you go about it, is where you get. Uh, is where the complications really lie. But like, it's not hard to me throw in. This was the average yards allowed per pass on his by the defensive seat base. 
Oh yeah, that that's a per that's perfect. Um, yeah, I I just didn't know if there was like something like baked in like widely, but uh, I mean, you mentioned just like a math like being a math major, and like I do have very limited experience in R, um, doing the stats <laughs> project. So I guess I know I know about adding the variables too, but um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in because I think it's an interesting thing, like um, because the like the big knock I remember on Josh Allen was like strength the schedule. Um, you know, you I, I think we all outside of a barn. Yeah. Yeah. And throwing outside of a barn. I remember, um, I remember Mel Kuyper saying, uh, the kid wins just cause he had one mountain West division title and a couple and one bowl win. But, uh, Hey, I mean, shoot, I, I guess it's a moot point now. Let me look, look at Josh <laughs> Allen. So Mel Kuyper, what a guy, what a guy. What a guy indeed. Yeah. That, that, that's all I'll say on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm curious on your opinion on this. So when do you think, as far as big picture, when is analytics most helpful? Is it in the preseason phase, like when you're self scouting in April and May, and you know very very early on when you're doing big picture conceptual work? In is it most helpful in when it's Monday through Friday you're preparing for your next opponent? Or is it mid-game and halftime adjustments and when to go forward on fourth down? I know those are all very different uh, aspects of analytics, but which do you think is maybe most helpful? Yeah, no, no, that's a really good question. So the so the way I'll answer it is that analytics it is it is a fun buzzword that people like to throw around uh, and makes things sound fancy and more complicated than they are. But really, all analytics is it's an application of information. So, uh, so like if you had a coach in high school uh, who told you when uh, East uh, would line up in this formation, they ran X percent of the time, that's analytics. Uh, it's a more rudimentary form of analytics than we would, you know, when we think about like what the Ravens and Browns are doing, but it is still analytics nonetheless. So really it's, it's a very malleable way of understanding and processing information. So it, 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 you can use it really whenever um it's just if you put a number down and you want to sound smart and have someone pay you more you just call it analytics um so in, in all those aspects it is useful uh there are ways to use it in preseason and during the offseason there are ways you can use it to help manage your cap there are ways you can help you know build your draft strategy there are ways you can do it in you know in the week leading up to the game uh there are ways you can help it with in-game decisions with uh i haven't heard much about halftime adjustments in particular uh, just because those are generally very minutia, uh, very our left guards getting his ass kicked, uh, and the NCAA doesn't allow computers in the press box. Uh, so someone, so the run game coordinators got got to adjust around that. Uh, so halftime adjustments maybe be the one case where I'm unsure about that. But but then again, if you know if someone has a headset, it's like, hey coach, uh, our buck sweep is working real well. Uh, it's been explosive like four out of five times, uh, then that can be helpful. But generally, I would say all of those situations are rough, they're roughly equally useful because all it is, it's just, I have this information, I have a way to mess around with it and poke it and see if we can find out anything new from it. And then we can apply it from there. So all those situations really, but I mean, fourth down decision in terms of like actionable, in terms of like what is most rhetorically effective um, uh, in during a game week, uh, meaning like, you know, here's the opponent's tendencies, here's our tendencies, uh, here's what they do, here's how well they do it. Uh, that's not too bad. Fourth down stuff, if you can get a coach to buy into that, that's not terribly difficult to uh, talk about. Um, and 
you know, I don't have experience with off-season stuff, trying to convince people to do things. Uh, but I can imagine if you framing it the right way, saying, hey, this is what the numbers tell us about this prospect. Uh, that can be, that's always helpful. Everyone likes information about prospects. Everyone likes numbers. Even if they don't like numbers, they're lying to you, they like numbers. It's so funny. If I don't know if you if you listen to Move the Sticks with uh with Daniel Jeremiah and, and Bucky Brooks, it's an NFL media podcast, but they talked about how maybe one of the best drafts was the 2020 draft when we had to go off of film and because pro day and obviously there was no official combine and Lucas oil and all that it was maybe one of the best because we were going off of tape. Right. And we didn't, it didn't obsess over, you know, the bench press and the, you know, wrist width or wrist width and the, you know, whatever they measure at the combine. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's certainly interesting. I know Brandon Staley is certain, certainly been one of the coaches that have bought into a, to fourth down analytics and all that. It's been interesting to see how they've treated uh, first down as like a freebie second down is down third down and second down and so on. So yeah, with that, and really that discourse on Twitter is so terrible every time. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. It's really bad. Yeah. So Connor, um, I'm, I'm, I'm digging a bit in the woods with uh, with this question, but uh, this year we saw the wonderful one-and-done season for uh, Kevin Kelly, the coach that never punts uh, yeah. at Presbyterian. Uh, I kind of want to know your thoughts about, um, about, I guess, that whole strategy of always going for it on fourth down, always onside kicking, because I feel like in that situation long-term, um, it, I think it could have worked. Honestly, might have taken a few years, but they had the athletes there. Ren Hefley was a wonderful passer. Uh, most of the year for in, in um for Presbyterian, and I guess just getting kids to like buy into that aggressive um play style. So I just want to know your thoughts on on his whole strategy. Yeah, so um a, a really important piece of context to understand about Kevin Kelly, um is that all of his strategies were developed while coaching uh, at a powerhouse at a lower level of Arkansas high school. Uh, now Arkansas is it's a solid. Um, high school football state, obviously it's rich tradition. It's down South. They are very into it. I'm not disparaging that, but in terms of the level of talent that is coming out of the state in terms of what we see in just by FBS output in a, you know, pretty talent rich area of the country. Uh, I don't know if you would consider it Southeast, but there's enough, there's plenty of FBS schools nearby that if they had kids, they would be picked up. And, uh, a Pulaski Academy or Pulaski, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. Uh, but they had won the state of the like 13 or 18 years he was there, they won the state championship like seven times. They're about, you're winning the state championship in Arkansas about half the time. You're at a private school where you can recruit. The talent, talent gap he was working with uh, at uh, Pulaski Academy in, in Arkansas high school football in at most 5A, which is like Arkansas has seven A's. So it's like a mid-tier uh, Arkansas high school football. That's significant. Uh, and to my understanding, Presbyterian was on the opposite end of things uh, in terms of FCS ball. Uh, are they scholarship or are they not scholarship? Um, so they changed to non-scholarship only recently. Um, but yeah, they're, they're non-scholarship now. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> from a, a top tier mid-level, a top tier amongst the middle level of Arkansas high school football versus a non-scholarship FCS program. We are working in two very different worlds. So that's just an important piece of context whenever you hear uh, anything about Kevin Kelly's strategy. Um, so the never punt, the analytics does not say never punt. Uh, sometimes it's smart to punt. 
when it's fourth and seven and you're inside your own 20, you should probably punt. Uh, so that, so I want to get that out of the way. But granted, uh, if you were to go for it every single time like Kevin Kelly does, uh, that would probably be closer to right than punting every single time uh, just because you get the more high-end variance there. Uh, it, uh, variance meaning like someone blows the coverage and then you score a touchdown. If you don't go for a fourth down, that can't happen. That sort of thing. So in, in some aspects, that going for it every time would probably be better uh, than the alternative. But, you know, I mean, you, you saw those. You saw those scores. It, that can get real ugly really quick. And the onside's kick thing, I, I mean, the, the chances of getting an onside's kick in the first place when the team prepares for it, I think John Boyce has a video on it. I think it's like 10% or something, and that, that's just – you're that's a remnant of being you know the top dog in middle-level Arkansas high school football not to disparage it it's a good job those kids love it it's hard to coach coaching is coaching football is football but you know different levels of the sport you're working with different talent gaps and you can't get away with that at non-scholarship FCS ball I will say no that's that's an amazing point about the talent gap for sure Uh, I will say that um in terms of Presbyterian being non-scholarship, like the rest of the Pioneer League is also non-scholarship as well. Um, but then again, there's like other like uh, variables too, um, which I, I like uh, San Diego, of course, having the dynasty there um, as well. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I enjoy that explanation. Um, I, I do think it's kind of weird that he just like pieced out after a year. Um, my my um, my guess is that there is some sort of political machinations going on there with you know being have an 80 score on them multiple times in a year. I, I, I don't think it was just him piecing out. I, I know nothing. I know no one at Presbyterian College. I'm just going to guess. I, I, think, I think that's, uh, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest reason there. But, uh, but hey, I mean, Campbell, I think they got beat by Campbell 72 to nothing. I mean, don't sleep on the cam- Camels. Um, Hajman Ligoli no was camels. balled out a couple times. Yeah, he balled out a couple times on national TV in 2020. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's a it was a time. You know what? So I'm I'm curious. We've seen analytics and and we'll use that to application of information, but advanced analytics, advanced statistics, um, in the NFL for a little bit, probably more accessible than ever with PFF and next gen stats. We're starting to see it in the college world, particularly PFF, of course. SEC StatCat is one of my favorites. Um how long until you think we're seeing it even at the high school level, uh, especially as maybe it can be as applied or applied as an evaluation tool for recruiting? How long do you think until maybe we get that in the future? Yeah, so there actually have been some small movements to try and get um, some analytics stuff going in high school. Uh, the, the big issue with high school football in terms of analytics is one, the data sets aren't really there. Like I'm from, I'm from a suburb of Philadelphia. Uh, and if you know anything about the recruiting dynamics of the Northeast, generally speaking, is that your best kids get recruited to go to Catholic league, to Catholic high schools or private or private schools. Uh, so around in my area, it's Malvern, perhaps St. Joe's, Archbishop Wood, uh, Emotep in- Institute, which isn't a Catholic school, but it is a charter school in Philly, which is allowed to recruit. Um, so you know that's it. That is the dynamic around my area. The big time college, the big time high school football is in Catholic schools. Those are the only ones in terms of recruiting that are worth a damn. 
And those are the only ones that have any sort of data collection and that's not available publicly. So, you know, I'm not familiar with the uh, robustness of Texas high school football play-by-play uh, -play data, um, but that, that's, the big, uh, that's the big hurdle you have to pass with in high school. You don't have the data, so what do you do? So of the movements I'm aware of to try and get analytics more involved in high school, uh, it's not so much like, you know, um, what's the more has the Lake, Lake Travis down in Austin, uh, Austin, Texas. Like Lake Travis is, isn't going to hire someone in the analytics manager from the, from the school budget. Like that's probably not the future of, at least in my very humble opinion, that's not the future of analytics in high school football. The future of analytics in high school football is, you know, uh, coaches have a coaches have a play sheet, and then they have a sheet that's a, that gives a rough approximation for the expected points in the spot, and you just use a college uh, number for that. So you know, getting comfortable with ideas of EPA, uh, you know, in, in uh, importing more ideas of okay, this is how we tendency scout, this is how we evaluate uh, the effectiveness of our plays with EPA, this is how we start to think about fourth downs more often. Um, not so much as, you know, having models building graphs. Now, in terms of recruiting, um, the player, so the player evaluation end of it faces similar issues where I don't have play-by-play -play data on um, Joe Milton coming out of high school. Uh, you know, and if he has max practice data that is put in by his coaches that just want to pump up the stats and make him look good, and that's not reliable. But uh, uh, Joe Milton's a bad example there because his numbers weren't great coming out of high school, but that's besides the point. Um, but so recruiting wise, there are some uh, services which have tried to use more analytics stuff over with recruiting, and notably recruiting analytics by Corey Yates, uh, who's the founder and CEO of that. What they try and do is they have um, tracking data, a track commuter vision data. So basically you have a program that looks through a video uh, frame by frame, because videos are just a bunch of pictures uh, tied together. Uh, and it says, okay, this is where this player was in this frame. This is where this player was in that frame. We know the distance between them, so we can figure out how fast he's going. Uh, stuff like that is a lot, a lot where recruiting analytics is going towards in terms of player evaluation. Um, you know, there are those spark camps. There are those, uh, you know, different showcases uh, that you can get athletic testing numbers. But the world of um, recruiting analytics is a bit, you know, there are, there are movements, there are companies that are trying to get more data involved in recruiting. Um, but it is a bit of a struggle due to the lead, just the lack of it there and robustly, especially on the football end of things. You can get track numbers and you can get, you know, um, playing in, you know, 8A high, Texas high school football is probably better than being at a 1A school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, but there's a lot more like athletic testing numbers and trying to gauge how big and fast these players are uh, more than the sort of thing, more than looking at total EPA. Uh, that Omar mentioned earlier, things of that, uh, things of that state. I don't have a good timeline for it either. Uh, I don't know. We'll say five, ten years. That, that's pretty safe. Gives you some leeway. Yeah, no, for sure. Especially, I feel like to the public, it could be like even longer. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know if you know anything about this. Do you know if there are any like recruiting powerhouses like? A&M, Georgia, uh, any schools like that that are like trying to have their own like front office departments, so to speak, where they're trying to evaluate anything like that or? Um, so, so I've done a lot of public work with recruiting. Um, actually, uh, you could say I got my big break 
on social media by looking at recruiting data. Uh, to my knowledge, the only looks in expansions and personnel departments in terms of recruiting uh, have been with uh, have been with the transfer portal as of late. I know a lot of schools are looking to hire scouts and things of that sort. Just admit, just look at the transfer portal because there's too many kids for their current personnel and recruiting departments to worry about. So they need other people to do that. In terms of using analytics to do so, it's pretty bleak. Uh, admittedly, there's only a couple schools I know of that are doing uh, any sort of analytics in that department. Uh, there's only a handful of Power Five schools which have dedicated analytics departments or people on staff. Uh, so that is, so it's a bit bleak on that end, but there is opportunity, particularly with the transfer portal. And that's probably where we see analytics implemented more so first than high school, just because, you know, the data is there. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's interesting. I'm curious if we'll see that in the future, but that's also, I did not know that about the transfer portal. That makes so much sense because they're what enough to make, what was the number? It was ridiculous. Like, 30 it was probably even more than that team's worth of guys in the transfer portal oh, like either either 1100 something or 1800 uh, over a thousand well over a thousand like that, yeah that. yeah well over a thousand. it's crazy yeah so um i'll, I'll, let, I'll let jacks have another question too because uh i guess the brunt of my questions or my couple questions deal with the hula bowl so uh yeah jackson ask away with uh with, with your next one <laughs> Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, so uh, I, one thing that's been, I guess this isn't so much of a, of a question as a compliment, is like reading some of your pieces, particularly the one about the ineffectiveness of screens with outside wide receivers. It's so refreshing because, yeah, there's a lot of math in it, but it's like, it's so, it's so logical. Like it makes so much sense, but it, we just have like the data behind it now. I was just reading some of these things and it's like, wow, this makes like a lot of sense and you're just able to put it into, into words and numbers. And I just, I, I love it, man. That's awesome. Definitely something that I'm going to try and keep, keep more during the season. I, I appreciate that. One of the things, so I was, um, so by training, I was a physics major in college. I said I was a math major. I was both, uh, you know, I had, I had so much fun, a great time. I had a bajillion girlfriends, um, but the way, um, but, you know, as a, as a physics major, most of my education at prize was revolved around physics major. Uh, a thing physics people like to do is try and work things from first principles. So, like, for physics, we know there's, like, four things that matter in the universe. There's, like, uh, there's, there's lesser magnetism, there's the strong force, there's the weak force, and there's gravity. And anything that moves, because physics is just learning how things move, uh, anything in the universe is just surrounded by those four things. So if I... So if I can work out why this thing's moving from one of those four forces, then I, then I know how anything works. Uh, so working from first principles, so working from, I have this theory of why this thing's move, I have this data, now I try and fit it to that theory, we're looking great. So that's like the, uh, so at my favorite part of that outside wide receiver screen article was I looked at if the depth of the corner uh, mattered at all with how, of the outside corner mattered at all with how effective the, the screen was. And it didn't, and that makes sense because of course, of course NFL corners are really good at clicking and closing. Why wouldn't they be? Duh. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it does make sense, I guess, uh, with, with like outside screens for sure. Uh, it's something I, I just never thought of really, um, I guess, in terms of where, where the screen is, uh, whether it's inside receiver or outside. But no, great work, absolutely there for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I got I mean, I enjoyed that one as well. And you know, I, I got to be honest, I got to read more of your work too. I mean, frankly, I, I've poor, I've been having poor concentration lately, Connor. But uh, no, it's I mean, all I'll, right. I'll sure. I, I, I don't take offense. I don't, I don't read. I don't read enough of my work either. I don't even want to. I don't want to proofread my work too. Whenever I write, but uh, that, <laughs> that's neat. That's neither here nor there. But uh, but uh, my, my question. It is. It is. Um, my my questions. Um, I guess my my next questions uh, deal with um, your experience in the Hula Bowl. So, uh, how did the opportunity come to be, and what did it really encompass? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I worked for the Hula Bowl, uh, the college all star game that typically happens in Hawaii, and was originally made for uh, Islander players, Pacific Islander uh, players of Pacific Islander descent. Um, but they moved it uh, this year into Orlando at UCF. Um, so the way I got into it was I posted a, one of my, it was actually from a PFF article. And the article was about how uh, if you, if you opponent adjusted uh, Justin Fields senior year or junior year, and then use that to project forward his rookie season, uh, according to those projections, he looked like he would be the best rookie quarterback by like a half step. It didn't turn out to be the case. But I, I thought the reasoning was solid, but I posted that and I posted a graph or two with it and the PFF college account uh, tweeted out and of course then it did numbers. Uh, and actually the, the Scott Phillips, who was the, assist, who was the assistant director of scouting uh, for the Hula Bowl reached out to me on Twitter and said, hey, you wanna do analytics for the Hula Bowl? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do analytics for the Hula Bowl. So then I did analytics for the Hula Bowl. <laughs> um, so what that meant for the game uh, basically, as we were putting together our lists for the who we wanted in the game, uh, Scott or some other scouts would say, like, hey, what do you think? Like, what did the numbers say about this guy? And I wrote a couple of scripts, and then I would put in that guy's name, and then I'd pop out some graphs. Like, okay, this is what we think. Uh, this player looks good. This player doesn't look good. Um, and then at the end of it, we did put together a little booklet. Uh, the booklet has on one page of it as a scan report of every player that was in the game, and on the back of it, had an analytics page of it, which was a couple of graphs. Uh, we only had the analytics page for the FBS players because the FCS data quality isn't quite there yet with BFF. Uh, so we had to exclude those because it wasn't up to snuff. But in terms of analytics, that's all I really did. Uh, oh, and I charted the stats during the game. So like how many rushing yards and we send that out to scouts. We gave one of those booklets out to all the scouts. So that was cool. Uh, I didn't, I was not told that the booklets would be in black and white. Uh, and that would have been helpful for my graphs, but you know, uh, wh what are you going to do? And also at the Hula Boy, I did a lot of operations uh, stuff and operations and looking things around. And, you know, that was an experience. I, I had, you know, I, I said a thing or two to Omar when we talked over Zoom at the Hula Bowl. Uh, it, it, was, it was a good experience. I, I, I don't regret it. I had a good time. I got to talk to some cool people. Yeah, that sounds amazing, uh, honestly. And it's just great that they reached out to you after the article. Um, I guess one question I have um, on top of that is, from an advanced stats pers perspective, who looked impressive to you in-game? Uh, from watching the game on, on TV, uh, I know Levi Lewis looked – he caught my eye, but I'm not sure if uh, he was as efficient as, like, you would have liked um, from an advanced stats perspective. Um, or I guess who, who, else, like, who caught your eye from, uh, from that perspective? 
Yeah, so I'll be honest, uh, most of our attention was, and, and their scouts there, and that was the main focus of it, getting that work with them and different people who showed up. Uh, most of the attention was put during the week. Um, and uh, during the game, Levi Lewis played football, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, But during the week, uh, I was tasked with actually scouting the running backs. Uh, I thought that was, a, that was just a really funny joke to make the analytics kid do the running backs. Um, but uh, during the week, uh, coming into the week, of course, I had, I already looked at all the grass for all the players. I under, some understanding of how good uh, they were according to that. Uh, Pacheco really outperformed his his numbers. Um, there were a couple things that didn't look great for him analytically. Uh, in particular, his drop he had a pretty high drop rate. Uh, he was like one of the only running backs of ours that did. So I was a little worried coming into the week about that. But then you watch him and you know he's catching every. I don't think he dropped a single ball all week. He looked great. He really stood out that week. Raheem Blackshear, the Virginia Tech running back. Uh, he also looked good. His numbers were all phenomenal. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Christian Holmes, uh, was, he actually, I got to talk to him some. He had a funny question uh, in an interview. But he, he, looked, he looked really good by the numbers. Uh, everything he had was above average. Um, Ralph Holly, he was a late ad for us at a D-Tackle in Western Michigan. I don't know what took him so long to pick it up by a game. I guess, I guess it's because he's short. He looked really good. Uh, Timon Fox, uh, the I talked to his agent. I should know his pronounce his name. Uh, but he, uh, he looked his numbers were really good, especially with pass rushing. Exceptional pass rusher, and I I think he looked pretty solid throughout the week. You know, it's always hard to tell with you know the practices weren't super super physical. Some of the trench guys, it's hard to tell sometimes. Uh, but those were the those were the main ones that really stood out. You know, oh, and the and Blaze Aldridge too, the Missouri linebacker who has what a what a head of hair, you know what a guy. Uh, he he looked good analytics wise as well. Yeah, Connor. So follow up to that. You mentioned uh, working. Oh, sorry, Jax. No, go go ahead, Jax. Oh yeah, I just had a follow up question. I I can go after you if you want. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I'll, well, I was just going to ask about Isaiah Pacheco. Um, so, like, I, I did a quick search of his stats this year, receiving-wise. 13, catch, 13 catches for 25 yards. Uh, I didn't think that was humanly possible for uh, <laughs> any player of any level to do that. I mean, that's not a knock on him. But do you think, I guess, um, Rutgers' scheme? Um, I know they're getting back to that sort of, like, um, like late 2000s, Greg Schiano-type ball, like Ray Rice, um, Joe Martinek even, um, who ran all over Army when I was a kid. Um, but anyway, yeah. Do you, do you think that played a role in his struggles in the passing game uh, at practice? Um, I mean, like he didn't really have any struggles in the passing game at practice. He looked great uh, during the season. You know, that was probably part of it. And also, um, there were some. I don't think I'm overstepping my bounds by saying there were some talent deficiencies uh, with the University of Rutgers' uh, football team. Uh, so that was probably that was probably the bigger deal. Um, and that was probably the bigger deal with him in terms of his regular season stats because he he looked great during practice. You know, uh, you know, there's still one or two knocks on him, uh, but I mean, he he looked great. Just Rutgers is a tough place to be a successful running back, especially when you have to play Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State with their with their roster how it currently is. You know, you mentioned working with the running backs at the Hula Bowl for a little bit during the week. Um, 
Two questions. Julius Chestnut, something I noticed, only two receptions on the year. Do you know how many catches he ended up having in the Hula Bowl? Uh, I, the team he was on, he was on Ina. Uh, I was on Kai. Uh, he, I don't think he had – I didn't really pass to the running backs. Uh, but he looked really good during the game. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch him during the week. Yeah. Because I was assigned to the other team. But he looked really good during the game. I didn't have any analytics on him. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he definitely did. I know when I, when I was watching, um, I did notice he had at least a couple targets on there. Um, I was just, just going to ask one of my favorite quotes from Maurice Jones-Drew that I – frequent on the podcast someone's probably sick of me saying it if you can't catch you can't play as a running back right <laughs> I'm curious uh, at least from from a league standpoint is that um was that a point of emphasis during the week uh you mean in terms of practice or in terms of like what the running backs were doing during practice but the, I'm... in terms of yeah yeah what the running backs were, were working on during practice yeah because you look at guys like Jarrett Patterson, who I, I don't even know if he had a target his whole college <laughs> career, and in the preseason, the football team was trying to work in. It's just so interesting to me. I'm I'm curious if that was a point of emphasis. Yeah, um, I, I I'd say so. Uh, you know, they always, you know, they had a couple of drills, uh, in the beginning of practice where they would, you know, they would be running on the air, uh, just to get down the angles and whatnot for the running game. Because it, it's an all-star game, you know, it's not you're not going to play anything anything in anything crazy. But Brian Billick is the coach, so that you're going to have a fullback, and you get used to running behind the fullback because it's uh, the year of our loop, 2022. Um, so, uh, but you know, they had a couple, they had about four or five pass passing drills for running backs. You know, pass pro, a one on ones, a skeleton, so a seven on seven. Yeah, they had plenty of opportunities to show they could catch the ball or not. Yeah, absolutely. That, that I mean, that's what I love to hear about. I think, I mean, I know since fired Urban Meyer, I mean, even Burke and Travis Etienne, though, exclusively and with the wide receiver room in training camp, stuff like that, was just seeing the trend of the game that we're seeing, with the exception of Derrick Henry, because he's <laughs> an alien. So <laughs> I will say with Julius Chestnut, it's no wonder he only had two catches on the year when he was playing tough defense. It's like the defense of Holy Cross, uh, you know, where, who, who shut him down to 17 carries or 55 yards in their first round playoff game. So, I mean, I don't think strength of schedule is a, is a problem for a Julius Chestnut, you know, mm-hmm. heading into the future, uh, you know, because Holy Cross, that, that's, a, that's as strong as they get. But and all Holy Cross, Holy Cross um, homerism aside, um, I, I don't have any other questions, Connor. Um, this, this was amazing. Very educational, uh, especially for someone who kind of hates math. Um, I mean, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're correct. Like, I, I want, you, I want you to know math you are correct for hating math. Oh, I'm sorry, Connor. What was that? Uh, I, I want to let you know you are correct for hating math. You are. <laughs> well thank you but uh yeah this was this was total this was great um i i had a fun time uh, jackson do you have anything to to add before uh we we hit it not at all connor you've been so generous with your time i, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights yeah thanks for having me on this was a lot of fun yeah no thank you again connor and uh until next time uh peace love and soul everyone <laughs>